Today's episode of The Overwhelmed Brain is brought to you by StoryWorth. Looking for a unique gift that will show someone special just how special they are? Go to storyworth.com forward slash brain and get $20 off the gift of their life. Are you annoyed by affirmations? I am happy. No, that's not true. I am strong. I don't feel strong, but I have to say it a thousand times. I am strong. It just doesn't feel right. Are you tired of being told to think positively? Your future is determined by your present, which is shaped by your past, which can only be great if you inject optimism into every terrible present moment that you come upon in life. Okay, I guess. <laughs> if affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like a straight path to denial, then you're in the right place to start creating the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, personal empowerment coach and host of this show that I call The Overwhelmed Brain. This is the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. Everything I talk about on the show should not be mistaken for actual medical advice or treatment and is intended to be for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your medical treatment. What you will find here is an increase in your emotional intelligence, a strengthening of your self-worth and self-esteem, the motivation to be your authentic self, and the forward momentum to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. All right, I'm going to get right into the first topic, which is a letter that I received. This is going to be mostly a, an Ask Paul episode uh, because I have some emails that have been sitting there in my inbox for a while. So let's get right to it. Today's first topic is a letter from someone that was getting ready for marriage and she left. He says, recently my fiance moved to another city. She told me that she couldn't move forward with the marriage. While I was hurt by this, I was also immediately extremely understanding, accepting, and compassionate about her decision. While the thought of marrying the woman I love makes my heart leap with joy, the relationship itself is much more important to me. When we were together, she used to come home depressed, anxious, and exhausted. I would try and help and connect with her, but I have now come to realize that it wasn't in a way that was useful to her. It was my instinct to be physically by her side, and when she would say that she needed space, I would only half hear her, and sometimes not at all. On occasion, I would spend time with my friends so that she could have time to decompress, but those instances were too few and far between. I like to touch and be touched, and I like to spend time with the person I'm with, so when she needed her space, it was hard for me. I have now come to understand that she would spend all her day at work where she had no control over her space and great demands were put on her, only to retreat home to a domestic situation where something similar was playing out. She would often spend nights out late having a drink with her friends. I would miss her, and I would worry about her, and I felt that she was growing distant. We did seek therapy to help us communicate better, however but it did not improve the relationship. The nature of her work also involved having a few drinks out late. I tried not to feel hurt and neglected by this, but I did. Now the letter goes on and uh, he references more times that she went out uh, drinking with friends, family, and coworkers and things like that. Later on, I don't know how many days or weeks went by, she dropped what felt like a bomb on me. She shared that she had felt very unsupported and the quality of our phone calls had been lacking. When she called off the wedding, I went into a bit of a downward spiral. She grew angry and more distant, and she eventually didn't want to show any affection at all. Soon, she stopped coming home altogether. She told me things like, I disregarded her needs in favor of my own, that I didn't take the time to know her, and that she felt uh, controlled. She also said that she couldn't confide in me without the fear of judgment, and that I never heard her and never listened. To hear these things tore my heart to shreds. I feel absolutely terrible for causing so much hurt to someone I love and respect. She also believed that she couldn't count on me. And after many layerings of what was happening to us, 
She simply came to the place of not being able to trust me. Since she left, I have been practicing what I call extreme empathy. Not just understanding how she feels, but understanding why she feels the way she does. I put it together in my head. I was slow to offer support at a crucial moment when she was in dire straits with her job. I was angry and judgmental when she broke her promise to have dinner with me. And when she had a big win, I didn't celebrate her win in a way that felt true and meaningful to her. When she wanted to celebrate with friends, I didn't step back from my emotions and say to myself, this is her moment, let it slide. She saw a man who she couldn't trust and who was negative when she needed me to be positive. I thought, why would she want to commit to marriage with such a person? Our communication since she left has been quite limited. She's asked me not to call her. She'll call me, but I can text and email her. She calls me on weekends, and the last time we spoke lasted for three hours. She said she enjoys talking to me, but also added that she told me that she wants to work on our friendship first and then see what happens. There are no guarantees beyond that. She also said I was free to see other people if I wanted to. But I don't. I just want to be there for her. I miss her terribly and I feel ashamed at what I have done. I have continued seeing our couple's therapist alone for one-on-one -on -one sessions. Together with a lot of reading, reflecting, and mindfulness, and listening to your podcast, I feel I have made a lot of progress toward understanding my thoughts and actions and truly empathizing with her. I know I also have a long way to go, but I am committed to being the best partner I can be for her and the best person I can be for myself. But gnawing away at me is also the fear that as I work through my issues, it will be too late. That I'll evolve into a better person with a deeper sense of love and desire to accept, honor, and support her, while her love for me fades. I am scared of losing her, the woman I truly wanted to spend the rest of my life with, for good. I also received an opportunity to move closer to her through work. I don't trust myself to keep my distance, or at the very least, to not be deeply saddened if she doesn't want to spend time with me. She said she's okay with me living in the same city as long as I don't impose myself on her and honor her time and boundaries. I don't want to drive her away and I don't know what to do. I love and miss her so much and I want to show her that I've changed, but I don't want it to be at the cost of our relationship. All right, I'm going to call you Bill. Bill, thank you for sharing all of that. And um, I know where you are, my friend. <laughs> I know where you are because I've been there. In fact, 90% of what you describe is exactly where I was in my long-term 13-year relationship. Now, there's a couple things I'm going to point out that um, may not be obvious to you, or maybe they are, and, and you know, since you wrote this letter, maybe they're really obvious now, but one of the things I want to point out is that the moment she started spending less time at home was probably the moment she was starting to reconsider the relationship with you. Now, I, I hope that doesn't come as a surprise or a shock, but um, ha like I said, having been there and looking back at my relationship and how it digressed and went into the downward spiral that yours went into, I can pretty much pinpoint the moment she, she stopped wanting to be with me intimately, sexually, romantically, anything. I can pretty much pinpoint when it happened. I didn't see it in the moment, but I see it clearly now. Because, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. So what I want you to do is look back and figure out the moment she decided to spend more time away from you. Because that was probably the moment she started reconsidering things, or at least considering things for the first time. Now, one of the things that you mentioned is, is vital, and that was um, her not being able to trust you and share things with you. And you also mentioned that you maybe weren't listening or were highly judgmental, which is where I was. There was a point where um, my girlfriend would share things with me, and yes, I would be judgmental about it, but I wouldn't be overtly judgmental. I would just be uh, silently maybe angry or upset about something she was going to do or did do. I w she would tell me things in confidence and I would get upset. I would be unhappy with her decision because I was highly judgmental and I didn't want her to live the life that she wanted to live. I wanted her to live the life that I wanted her to live. And when someone's under that type of oppression, for, for lack of a better term, they're going to start feeling it. 
And they're going to start wondering if the decision they made to be with a person like that was a good decision or not. Now, the problem in my relationship is that we were very much in love for, you know, well over 10 years. But after the 10th year, that's when things started to go downhill. In fact, the last two years, it was very clear that something was wrong. And let me tell you this, if your fiancé is out with her friends and they're drinking and having a good time and you're not necessarily invited, there's something amiss there. I'm not saying it's not normal. I'm not saying that you can't have a relationship like that. But usually, when the person that you want to be with and be in love with and be in a relationship with, usually when you're with someone like that, they want to see you more. They want to be with you more. They want to spend time with you because they're drawn to you. They feel safe with you. They feel comfortable with you. They trust you. And many of the things that you said in your letter indicate that she didn't trust you, that she didn't feel comfortable with you, that she felt unsafe around you. And the more that happens, the more love diminishes. So I'm thinking that the moment she decided to spend more time away from you was the moment that she was reconsidering and possibly when love was starting to diminish. And like I said, this doesn't mean that every relationship with the other person spending more time away from the house I'm not saying that love is diminishing there. It could be. I don't know everyone else's situation, but I know from what you described that if I were in your shoes, not the person I was, but the person I am today, I'd be like, what the hell? You you already went drinking, you know, for two nights. Why a third night? Do you want a relationship with me or not? I don't know if I'd say those exact words, but I would stand up for myself and go, hey, I'm here for us, and you're going out with other people all the time. I don't mind if you go out every now and then, but this feels like it's all the time. I would ask, what's wrong? Why don't you want to come home? Why don't you want to spend time with me? Now, she also has a responsibility to tell you why she doesn't want to spend time with you. I mean, when you were together, that was her responsibility. It's up to her to tell you. Now, why wouldn't she tell you this? Why wouldn't she just be honest and say, you know, I want to spend more time with my friends tonight because this and that. You know, why wouldn't she tell you what's going on? My first guess from assessing what she said in this letter is that, like I said, she felt unsafe with you. And if someone feels unsafe, they're not going to share truths. They're not going to share themselves. They're not going to be able to confide in the person they feel unsafe with. The problem with that is that she would never let you know what her needs are. Therefore, you would never be able to meet them. Now, even if you knew what her needs were, it's quite possible you still wouldn't have been able to meet them. And let me tell you why. Because when I was in my long-term relationship and my girlfriend started feeling unsafe around me, she chose not to tell me because she loved me. (laughs) Now, that sounds a little strange, but... If your fiancé really did love you and she didn't want to hurt your feelings because you were very sensitive, she probably didn't want to tell you anything. How do you handle sensitive information? If you were like me, you were a people pleaser. You were highly judgmental. You hated confrontation. You minimized everything. You were sort of a doormat. You let her run the show. Um, you let her invalidate your emotions. You let her walk on you. Let's back to that doormat thing. And if all those are true about you, that's probably why she didn't want to tell you. Because if she told you, you would be sensitive to it, you'd be hurt, you'd be crying, and now she would have to deal with, I hate to say it, a little child crying at her feet. And let me frame what a healthy relationship might have looked to her. A healthy relationship might have looked to her as she's with a man who's secure in himself, who knows what he wants, who isn't afraid to ask the hard questions, who isn't afraid to confront. I'm not saying this defines man (laughs) in general. I'm saying that where your girlfriend was is probably the same place where my girlfriend was at the time when I was in your shoes. 
She wanted a man. She wanted someone to confront her. She wanted someone to stand up to her. It sounds odd and it sounds mean, actually, when I say it that way. But she wanted to know that she could get honesty from me, even at the risk of losing her. Now, what I mean by that is sometimes there's a hard truth that you have inside of you, like pointing at someone and say, you make me so angry when you say that. I never said anything like that in my first relationship. Never. I would never talk down about her or to her. I never did any of that. And that was a mistake. As odd as that sounds, maybe it sounds odd. (laughs) But to hear me say it, it's kind of odd. You should talk down to her. No, it's not like that. It's if your personal boundaries are being violated, then you stand up for yourself and you say, hey, back off. You're violating my boundaries. I deserve to be respected. I love you and I want you to love me. I respect you and I want you to respect me. It's as simple as that. I know it's not that simple to say that in the moment, or maybe it is for you. It is for me now. It took some healing and practice, (laughs) but I got to that point. But maybe she was looking for that from you. But instead, she got a sensitive little boy. Now, this is important because I don't know you. Uh, I can only read into what you wrote to me. And from what I'm reading, I get that there is a very sensitive, scared, desperate little boy who maybe wants motherly love. If I'm offending you now, I I apologize and I say this out of respect and love for you. I, I want you to be in a better place with this. But if that's what she sensed in you, and if she was a strong, independent woman, I can almost guarantee you that she's going to want strength and independence from her man, too. And if you showed up as this sensitive, caring, generous, kind, nothing-ever-bothers-you person, she may have seen that as a weakness. I'm making some huge assumptions here, and I'm throwing out some words that may not apply, but I want you to take it in either with a grain of salt or a bucket (laughs) and do what you want with this information because how you wrote your letter, she's the love of my life and I I don't want to live with anyone but her. There is a sense of desperation there and I understand. I, I got this way too after all of my breakups. I was so desperate and that's all I wanted. I wanted her back. But if your primary goal is to become better to get her back, you will never get her back. You won't. And I'm only telling you this as some sort of closure because I may or may not be right. But if you believe it to be true, if you believe that you will never get her back if your goal is to get her back, then maybe it will help you heal knowing that it's over. And I hate to say that because that's, it could be crushing. And I don't mean to crush. But in order for you to come to a better place in yourself, you need to focus on yourself. You need to heal within. And I know you're working on that. But you need to put your primary and only focus on you. So that if someone is attracted to the new healthy you, it'll be self-initiated from them. They will look at you and go, wow, I want to be with that person. Instead of you trying to convince them or change their mind. And it's vital that this is understood because I've seen this over and over again. I've seen this in my own life and I've seen it with uh, some clients that I've had is that when they're stuck that the relationship can be mended and the other person doesn't want them back. It's an endless cycle of chasing your tail and hoping that the other person will see you in a different way and your motivation for change is not uh, internally led. It's externally driven. In other words, you're not motivated to be a healthier person because you want to be a healthier person. You're motivated to be a healthier person because this person might see me as that healthier person and I can get her back. So my question to you is, if this other person didn't exist, would you still work on being healthy in yourself? Now, most likely you'll say, well, if she didn't exist, of course I would still work on myself. Of course I would do this stuff. And if that's your answer, then do it now. Because technically right now she doesn't exist. She doesn't want you back. And I have a feeling 
that she is still not telling you the whole truth because she doesn't want to hurt your feelings. Because you sound like a sensitive guy, like I used to be. Well, I'm still sensitive. (laughs) But if you are this sensitive, caring, loving guy, then you may have been showing up as a little boy in the relationship. Again, I say that out of respect. I remember when my wife was looking down the stairs at me saying, I don't want a little boy in this relationship. I want a man. And at the time, I understood it, but I didn't understand it. Because I would ask her things in a boyish way, like, is it all right if I go out with my friends? I mean, I was, it was like asking my mom. <laughs> and that's what it felt like. When I look back at my marriage, it, at least at the beginning, it was like I was living with my mom because I was choosing to be the boy instead of the man. Now, when I grew into the man, and again, I'm using man as a generic term here, but in the sense that this is what my wife as a woman wanted to see in me, when I became that, she became more comfortable being a woman. And this is what happens a lot in male-female heterosexual relationships or any relationships where there's a definite masculine and a definite feminine. If the definite feminine is comfortable being feminine and the definite masculine is comfortable being masculine, then a romantic relationship can usually work out better. And that could mean a man being feminine, a woman being masculine. It can work that way. And that can also work in homosexual relationships too. You have one definite masculine and one definite feminine, and it just seems to be a a good complement for each other. doesn't have to be that way, but I've seen relationships work well when there's the feminine and the masculine energy complementing each other. Now, in your case, if she was more masculine in the relationship and she wanted to be more feminine and she was with a feminine guy, she may never have felt comfortable being feminine. This is what happened in many of my relationships. The the woman I was with wanted to not have to be the one that confronted people, that stood up and took charge and had to take care of things all the time. It's like my girlfriend. She wanted to meet someone that could stand up to her and say, no, you can't bowl me over. <laughs> she wanted somebody that she couldn't overpower or, or just acquiesce every time she got angry or upset. She knew she had quite a, an alpha slash dominant personality, so she didn't want to meet a man with more receptive, nurturing personality. Even though I am both receptive and nurturing, I am also able to stand up for myself and honor my boundaries and tell her when she's off base and she appreciates it. She doesn't like it when it's happening, (laughs) but I do it and it works out and she's happy that I do it, at least afterward, (laughs) because we want to have authentic conversations. She doesn't want somebody to just sit back and take it or just say, okay, I'll do whatever you say. She doesn't want that. She wants a strong, independent person in her life because she is strong and independent. Plus, She just wants to be able to kick back and trust that someone else is going to take care of business for a while. And we get along great because of it. So, Bill, I'm not sure if that's how it was for your relationship or not. But if I were to, again, make comparisons to my first relationship and what you have going on with you, that's where I go. Now, there's a couple other things that you said in your letter that um, maybe I can address. Uh, One of them was that she wants to work on your friendship first. Now, when my long-term relationship ended, um, that girl uh, wanted to be friends with me. We were great friends. We were together a long time, and she didn't want to lose that friendship. So she kept reaching out and kept trying to be friendly and, and make a friendship. But I wasn't there. I wanted a relationship, and it was too hard for me to do that, so I couldn't keep that going. But when I think back on it, I go, well... Who doesn't want a kind, nice person that would do anything for them as a friend? It may not work as a romantic relationship, but it could work as a friendship. For me, I couldn't do it because I had already gone too deep with her and it just hurt to be with her and not be in a romantic relationship. So, you know, I I kind of go there when you share with me that she just wants to work on your friendship first. I mean, she may not be telling you the whole truth. Maybe she doesn't want a relationship with you but she really respects and appreciates you and maybe even loves you, but just cannot be with you, at least romantically. And if that's the case, 
what can you do to honor that? And I know you've been doing it. You've been staying away. You've been doing exactly what she asks. But um, I would, you know, seriously ask her exactly what she wants. And you may want to preface it with, don't worry about hurting my feelings. Just tell me exactly what you want with us. Don't hold back. Just be as honest as you can so that I have information that I can take with me and do something with. Because I am still working to become better, to be better, to be healthier for me and for us. But if this is not something that you're going after, I need to know now so I know where I can direct my energies. And you have to be ready for some hard truths because if she doesn't want to reconcile, you have to honor that completely and say, okay, now I know where to direct my energies and I will respect your wishes. And that will show her that you are there for her. Not that you haven't been, but in the way that she wants you to be. Because there are times, like you said, that you would be physically close to her and want to be near her and not always listen to her when she said that she needed her space. You chose to not necessarily honor those boundaries that she set. I'm not saying that's the cause of the the fallout. I have a feeling it was just because of uh, some of the things I've already said. But from this point forward, how can you show her that you will absolutely honor everything that she wants? And if that means don't ever call me again, don't ever think about me romantically again, then you can't really have it in your mind that you're going to change for her. Because that's not honoring her. That is still trying to maybe manipulate the situation to try to get her back when she may not be wanting that. I don't know. I'm making, like I said, making some assumptions here and I don't want to give you just all bad news. But I do know that if one of your primary missions is to get her back, you won't get her back. If your primary mission is to heal from the person that you used to be with her and get over some of the emotional triggers and make yourself a better person no matter who's in your life, that's a great place to be. Doesn't mean she'll never come back, but don't put that out there as something that you're doing for her. Don't ever make it about her. Make it about you, where you are in your life, how you want to be happier and healthier, and where you want to take your life for the future, no matter who comes in it. Because bringing a happier, healthier you into any relationship with someone else who is bringing their happier, healthier self will make a much stronger relationship overall. So to conclude this, there is good news out of all this. If this is what it took to get you out of the space that you were in, where you felt that you needed someone in your life to be happy or you needed specifically her in your life to feel happy, then this might be a time of grieving and rebirth of a new person in you. Because when you put the responsibility for your happiness on someone else, that's a lot of pressure. And 99 out of 100 times, they won't be able to fulfill you. And from your letter, that's what it sounded like where she was at with you. She may have felt like that in order for you to be happy, she had to be in your life. And that can be a lot for someone to take in. As much as I love my girlfriend and I want to be with her, she's not the source of my happiness. I have to bring that into the relationship so that she does not feel responsible for it. She still wants to make me happier and she still wants to give me special things that I can't give myself, but that adds to who I already am, happier and healthier than I've ever been. It doesn't make me happy and healthy. And that's the difference. And I hope that you can focus solely on yourself, even though it hurts, even though it sucks being without her and you do have some grieving to do about the end of the relationship, but you have such a prime opportunity to grow and heal in yourself so that when you are in another relationship, it doesn't end for the reasons that the last one ended, no matter who it's with. So I hope this helps. Thank you so much again for writing, Bill. And you know, send me an update. Tell me what's going on in your life. We'll be back right after this with another letter.
I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, I tell a lot of stories on this show. <laughs> and one of the main reasons I do that is because it helps me emphasize a point or a teaching of some sort. I also do it because I promote transparency and vulnerability. Now, I choose to do this on the air in the ears of over, what is it now, 125 countries? Not sure, but it's a lot. But what that means is that my history is now everywhere. <laughs> Millions of people have access to it, and they can learn all about me by listening to the last, I don't know, three years of episodes. Now, what's funny is that I don't think anyone in my family ever really listens to my show. <laughs> I mean, we're all in our own world doing our own thing with the people that are in our lives. So just because they don't listen doesn't mean they don't care. In fact, I know they care about me very much and I feel the same way about them, which is why I've decided to, shall we say, enlist my youngest sister to share her story. Now, I'm not going to make her do it in front of the world like I do. I'm going to gift her with something called StoryWorth. StoryWorth is a gift that spans one year with a very special result at the end of the year. Now, let me outline what might be a typical StoryWorth gift. You find a special person that you want to give a unique, one-of-a-kind gift to. Then you purchase a StoryWorth subscription, and it's $20 off, an already low price if you're an overwhelmed brain listener, so keep listening for that. And they'll send that special person questions throughout the year so that the answers will paint a picture of their life. But the story doesn't end there. At the end of the year, that special someone will receive a beautiful hardcover book with everything they've shared so that they can keep their stories forever. Now imagine being able to pick up your, I don't know, grandmother's history in a book or your brother or sister or your mom or dad and then you can read about all the things they went through. Stories you've probably never heard in your life. StoryWorth helps you give the gift of family connection and opens up lively discussion topics, sharing powerful emotional moments and more. The receiver of a StoryWorth gift doesn't only answer thought-provoking questions, but they can even upload photos of certain events and times in their life. Their book will have a life of its own and can be passed down into the generations. This is such a neat gift. I have my sister going through the questions right now, and she was thrilled to get the invite. I truly believe StoryWorth is one of those really intimate, special gifts that show that you really care about someone else. In less than a year, my sister is going to have a lot of her life bound in a beautiful hardcover book that she can share with her entire family, including me, and I can't wait to read it. If you want to see what this is all about, or maybe you're looking for that perfect last-minute gift, go to storyworth.com forward slash brain and get $20 off your subscription today. I know my sister is loving the process, and I know your loved ones will too. So go to storyworth.com forward slash brain. Give the gift that keeps your loved ones engaged for an entire year. Welcome back. This is the Ask Paul segment. This is where I read a listener email on the air and do my best to help them through the challenge. As you may have noticed, the last segment was also the Ask Paul segment. <laughs> so let's just get to it. Uh, I'm get, Like I said, I get a lot of emails and I want to read as many as possible, especially with the end of the year coming, the holidays coming, and um, all the issues that can sometimes spring up because of the holidays. So this message is from someone I'll call Mary. Hi, Paul. I am a people pleaser, but I've gotten better and I'm working on taking care of myself more and more. I'm fine with saying no to most people, like my boss, but I still have trouble saying no to my husband if he asks for something. I feel so bad and guilty if I do say no, and I also feel resentful of him for asking something of me that I don't want to do. And then I brood over it for too long, which is not healthy for me. And it's not fair to resent him either. How do I stop this reaction and be able to say no to him without having all these emotions? Like I said, I can say no to my boss or strangers or colleagues without any emotional repercussions. Why isn't this the case when it comes to my husband? Am I seeking his approval or acceptance or love? And when I do say no, do I fear that I won't get those things from him or that he thinks less of me? Regardless, how do I get over this? I want to be able to say no without feeling so badly about it the rest of the day. 
All right, Mary, that is an excellent question because I spent a good portion of my life being a people pleaser. So I come from that realm and I'll tell you my experience when I didn't want to say no is because I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be accepted. You said it right in your letter. However, it's, it's a little deeper than that because like I say, typically if you know what it is or you think you know what it is, it's usually not what it is. <laughs> so I'm sure it has to do with love and acceptance, but it probably goes deeper than that. Uh, but for me, when I had friends or family and I was in people-pleasing mode, which was all the time until I healed from it, till I grew out of that, I did it because I was afraid I wouldn't be liked or loved. But when I look deeper into that, why did I want to be liked or loved? That may sound like a stupid question, but I ask stupid questions sometimes. So that's the question. Why, why did it matter if I was liked or loved? Why did it matter? So I think about that now and I go, well, I had a friend that I couldn't say no to. I would just, you know, do whatever he asked, like, hey, let's go out bowling. And I'd be like, sure, even though I didn't want to do it. And this friend was a work friend, too. He's a coworker. And he would ask, hey, can you stay late and help me out with this? And I would go, sure, even though I had maybe other plans. So I would always say yes, because not only did I want to be liked, but I also wanted to be accepted. I also wanted people to see me as a good person. And this is where it got a little deeper for me, and maybe it is for you as well. Maybe not only are you looking for approval or acceptance or wanting to be significant in someone's life, because if you're significant, that means you're valued by someone else. I'm sure it gets into those deeper layers. But also, I want people to think I'm a good person. Now, with strangers and your boss, for some reason, the same programs don't run as they do with your husband. So I'm going to ask you two questions. And these two questions will probably reveal why you can't say no with your husband and why you can easily say no with other people. Are you ready? (laughs) The first question is, what's missing from situations with your husband that is usually present in situations with other people where you have to make a choice to say no or yes? What's missing? Let me say that again. Because that's a tricky one. What's missing in situations with your husband that's usually present with other people, like your boss, your friends, where you can say no to them but not no to your husband? Now, you may have to pause and uh, think about that. But um, it's a very broad, general question. But I want to know what comes up for you. Well, you can't tell me, but (laughs) I want you to know what comes up for you. And think about that. After you pause and think about that, I want you to answer the next question, which is, what's present in situations with your husband that's usually missing in situations with other people like your boss and your friends in the context of people-pleasing? Again, pause if you have to and think about that question and see what you come up with. I give credit to that line of questioning from my NLP training that was um, straight out of uh, one of my studies. So. I can't take credit for that, (laughs) but they are great questions. What's missing in one situation that's usually present in the other situation or what's present in one situation that's usually missing in the other situation. Now, if I were to answer this, like what's missing in my friendship that wasn't missing in other times that I didn't people please. And uh, the first thing that comes up is confidence. Second thing that comes up is courage. Uh, let's see, is there anything else? Um, uh, self-esteem. Uh, there's probably a few more things, but you get the idea. And it gives you um, a direction to go when it comes to honoring yourself, honoring your boundaries, and um, helping you determine maybe what's causing this. So how do you get beyond that is the next question, I think. How can you get beyond a place where you can't say no to your husband, but you can say no to your boss. Well, here's another question. What will you lose if you say no to your husband? Now, don't make this up. (laughs) Don't say, he'll leave me, he'll divorce me, unless you really believe that. But don't make it up. 
what will you lose? Let's just say that you believe that he'll hate you or be really mad at you that night. Let's just say that he'll say that. My next question is, no matter what, if you believe that your husband will feel that way for you, then I do have to question your relationship with him. Now, that's kind of harsh because I'm questioning your relationship, but think about it this way. Do you want to be around someone who doesn't honor you honoring yourself? Because if you want to be around someone that honors you honoring yourself, then I'm assuming that your husband does that. And if that's true, then by saying no to something that you don't want to do, he will actually support that and want you to be happy. I'm taking a big leap of faith there, but if you have a good, healthy, loving relationship and you said no to something that he wanted, would he go, you're a bad person, I hate you, I want a divorce? Would he say any of that stuff? Because if he did, then he's not honoring you, honoring yourself, and he is not supporting your happiness, which means what kind of relationship do you have? Now, I know that's easier said than done, (laughs) because... Uh, the next question I have for you, it's, it's, this segment's all about questions. The next question I have for you is, what do you fear by saying no? And where is that fear when you're saying no to your boss and friends? Think about that. You know, I have to ask these questions because I'm not really sure where to take you with this except to guide you into some self-analysis and and self-empowered thought because when you have self-empowered thought you can go somewhere with it because you might have something going on that I have no clue about typically people pleasing is a wanting to feel loved accepted and important and you know if I were to make an assessment from way over here about you I would say that you probably don't love yourself enough and I'm simplifying this concept just using those words. You don't love yourself enough. But uh, in a way, I really mean it. Because you probably have maybe some low self-worth. Because when you think about the safest people in your life, I bet your husband comes up as one of those people that you can share almost anything with. And maybe your thought is, if he sees me any less than I am, then what? What, what would happen? Would he leave? Would he look down on you? Would he call you names? What would happen? Or if you don't feel safe sharing with your husband, like you don't feel safe being vulnerable in front of him, then that might be something else. That might mean he is either an unsafe person, like he's highly judgmental or he puts you down, or you just have trust issues when it comes to people that are closest to you. And that can often happen When you've been in relationships where there's been some sort of trauma, abuse, neglect, uh, or other uh, intense, negatively charged emotional situations, that can happen because when you feel safe and vulnerable and loving towards a dangerous person, the idea of love becomes dangerous. It becomes unsafe. And then soon the closest people that you're supposed to trust and supposed to be Uh, able to be vulnerable in front of, you aren't able to do it because you've, you've been taught that loving is also dangerous, if that makes sense. And so that might be the case too. So there may be some stuff buried in there that you can explore. And it sounds like you've started to explore it. You've said a lot of the right words and you already know how to honor yourself in those other situations. So I know that you have it in you and you're capable of doing it. But, um, you know, think about the things I've already said and also the idea that if you say no to someone you love, they may leave you or hurt you. Because if that's in there, then A, do you want to be with someone who might leave you or or hurt you for honoring yourself? And B, if they really wouldn't leave you or hurt you, then this is just one of those leaps of faith that you need to take and start honoring yourself and see what happens. Because I tell you, there's nothing worse than worrying about something that might happen when you never test what might happen. Because you're stuck in what if. Well, what if I honor myself and he leaves me? And 
being stuck in what if is a constant state of worry and sometimes anxiety. Well, what if I do this? What if I do that? What if I don't do this? What if I don't do that? I have learned to just test it and see what happens. And it's good to know anyway. Sometimes you don't want to test things because you don't want to know the truth. But why wouldn't you want to know the truth? I know there's a lot of pain in truth sometimes. And sometimes you don't want to take that road to pain. Sometimes you don't want to experience the pain. But sometimes you're living with pain. And you can get over the pain by just testing the theory and seeing what happens. It might be more painful if and when your theory comes true. But what if it doesn't come true? Now you have a reference that everything is okay. And then you can test and test again. And I know, again, this is a leap of faith to actually test a process, to go, what is my husband going to do if I say no to him? Well, let's find out. <laughs> so much easier said than done. I know. <laughs> I've been there. It's, it was very, very difficult to speak up to the closest people in my life. It was easier with strangers. For example, when people would come up and bum money off me on the street. Uh, I found it easier and easier to say no, because after living in a very high homeless population, that happened several times a day, and pretty soon you'll run out of money if you just give money to everyone. So you learn to say no, and, and you do it congruently, because you realize that, hey, I need to take care of myself here. You know, I understand, I'm compassionate, and I want you to be better too, like I'm talking about maybe homeless people or something. I want you to be, have a good life too, but I, I simply just can't give everyone that comes up to me money. <laughs> it just doesn't work out. I become a, a broke martyr. <laughs> but that's a whole other issue for a whole other day. But um, back to this is how are you going to honor yourself? And when you do, will the people that love you stick around and support you honoring yourself? And that's important. Because if there are people in your life that will not support you honoring yourself, maybe they shouldn't be in your life. And I hate to say that because that changes a lot. I mean, if, if you have people in your life that you've been with for a long time, you might come to the realization that, oh, crap, they don't honor me honoring myself. What does that mean? That means I am, you know, whatever thought comes to mind. I'm in the wrong relationship or I've been in the wrong relationship. And that realization might be a shock to your system. I'm not saying it'll go that way for you. I have a feeling from the way you're talking that maybe your husband is understanding and will support you. It might surprise him because you've not been this way to him before. But you know what? You can probably open up a dialogue with him and just say, hey, you know what? I really have trouble saying no to you. I mean, why not just open up a dialogue? Why not just speak to him <laughs> as if he's just another person in your life, which he is? and someone that you love and trust and feel safe around and just express what's going on inside of you. You know, when we talk, I have trouble saying no to you and I think that it's affecting me and I'm starting to feel resentful for it. Do you, would you mind talking about this with me? And if your husband is understanding and loving, he's going to go, oh my God, of course. What's going on? Tell me, share with me. I just want you to be happy. If you don't get that response, if you get something else, something entirely opposite, then being a people pleaser in your relationship might be the least of your problems. I, I hate to be so blunt there, but I think you know what I'm trying to say. So just open up the conversation, ask yourself the questions that I said earlier, and maybe you'll come to a place inside you where you can get beyond this. For me, I'm more of a cold turkey kind of guy. <laughs> like I remember when I quit sugar for two months. Instead of just weaning myself off sugar and anything that created sugar in the body, I just quit it. Cold turkey. No soda, no candy, no cake, no white bread. Oh, what else? Um, no pastas. You know, all this stuff that converted to sugar or was pure sugar going into my body, I just cut it off. And I'm not saying you should do that because it might be dangerous to your system cutting, doing something cold turkey like that. But for me, I just wanted to try it because that's the kind of guy I am. And... I do the same thing when it comes to uh, emotional, what I call emotional evolution. I want to evolve emotionally beyond what's stopping me. If I had this problem in my life where I found it hard to say no to my girlfriend, I would want to say no and find out what happened. That's a cold turkey. I'm just going to do it and see what happens. 
I'm just going to make it so and get the data so that I can work with it. Because until you do it, you have no data. You have no input if you want to look at it logically and rationally, not emotionally. Without the data, how can you go forward? It's hard to go forward. It's hard to move in a forward direction to emotionally evolve unless you know what it is that's stopping you. All right, let's find out what it is that's stopping me. Let's find out what the consequences are. Again, it's a big leap of faith. Can you do it? I'm not saying you should do it, but I am saying that um, everything I said here may help you get to a point where you understand yourself better and maybe get you beyond this. And if it really does turn out to be a lack of self-worth, then it's time to nurture yourself as if you were your own mom or dad or your own best friend and really tell yourself how worthy you are. Just go back to one of my episodes on self-worth and self-esteem and that'll be a great beginning. I hope this helps. I think I called you Mary and thank you for writing. Thank you for sharing this and uh, send me an update. I want to know if everything works out for you. Let's end this segment. Let's close the show. I'll be right back, say some thank yous and then give you my final thoughts right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank StoryWorth. I research and or use every sponsor we get here at TOB. So when I tell you that StoryWorth is a very fun personal gift to give, it's from a place of experience. My sister is loving it and your loved ones will too. Go to storyworth.com forward slash brain and get your $20 off now. And have you heard about The Overwhelmed Brain book? Yes, the A to Z of self-empowerment is finally available. I don't care if you're a people pleaser, like our last segment, or you have toxic relationships, or you keep attracting the wrong people. Whatever's going on in your life that just doesn't seem to be working out, I take all the key components that I talk about on this show and put it in a single book so that you can carry it around with you. So get the Overwhelmed Brain Personal Growth for Critical Thinkers book at Amazon or Barnes & Noble so you can continue your journey to self-empowerment today. And of course, if you do go to Amazon, make sure to use the Amazon link on theoverwhelmedbrain.com. The Amazon link is the easiest way to give back, so if you've been listening for months or even years, or wouldn't it be wild if it was like a thousand years in the future and they were listening to this show? (laughs) Well, use that Amazon link every time you shop because your shopping habits are making a difference. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, click on the Amazon link, and do some shopping. And finally, thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. All right, to close the show, I want to talk about uh, something that I rarely mention, and that is the present moment. I want to mention this because uh, one of my clients recently has started meditating, and he said that, you know, when I started meditating, I, I actually took this uh, overall good feeling with me throughout the day. And we talked about that for a little bit, and we also talked about how the present moment, meaning experiencing your reality here and now, not thinking about the past, not thinking about the future, but um, just being very external and aware and observant can really change your state. And if you suffer anxiety or depression or anything like that, and um, although depression is a lot harder to get out of than anxiety in my experience, but um, no matter what you're going through, When you step out of yourself, all your past uh, pain or fear or anger or all your future worry or concern, when you step out of that and go, what's happening right now? What's happening today? You might think, well, you know, there's, there's some scary stuff happening today. I'm still worried about this. I'm still worried about that. Well, when you think about what's happening right in front of you, outside your body, in your environment. Like, for example, I can look right now and I can see my audio equipment because I'm at my desk and I'm recording this audio right now. And I can look out and I can see computer screens. I can see a webcam. uh, I can see a disk drive. I can see um, an audio mixer. I can see all these things around me and be aware that they're there. 
but I can also notice them and look at the details and, and see their intricacies and notice how they're shaped or what they look like or what color they are. I can read the words and I'm very external when I do this. I'm very present when I do this. You can do that with a flower. You can do that with grass. You can do that with rain. And my trick for being present is pretending that I was, I don't know, born yesterday. And uh, today, you know, I grew up fast. <laughs> and today I am learning everything for the very first time. And, you know, I might stand in a field and go, wow, what is this below my feet? And I might even say, are those my feet? <laughs> and I might say, what are these at the end of my arms? Wait, what are arms? <laughs> and, and you start being inquisitive and curious about you and outside of you. What you do is pay attention to what's outside of you. You look at a tree and you go, wow, I've never seen a tree before. And if you've never really seen a tree before, would you not go up to it and examine it and try to figure out what it is? And if you wouldn't, <laughs> well, do it <laughs> because that keeps you very present. That keeps you very aware. It keeps you interested, intensely curious and intense curiosity is all part of being present, in, in my opinion. I think that when you have intense curiosity and you can look at something as if you were looking at it for the first time, it brings a sense of uh, childhood wonder. And when you can carry that around with you, that's a lot better than all the worry and stress and other stuff that sometimes we carry around all the time. And if you listen to people like Eckhart Tolle, he will definitely bring you into the present moment. He will help you get there just by talking because he talks like this <laughs> and he's very slow and methodical but I don't think he does it with any purpose I think that's just who he is now he allows his thoughts to come as they come he doesn't try to force anything out and he's very present when he does it and he teaches presence so it's really neat listening or, or watching him if if you're into that stuff you may not be but um, finding presence especially when you're embroiled in emotions just going to that present moment can really bring you to a more peaceful state it may not last a long time or it may last all day but practicing presence is a form of meditation and meditating is very helpful when you have a lot going on in your life plus it does something that i highly encourage you try to do all the time which is connect with yourself meditating to me is connecting with myself I am alone with me, nothing else, no one else. It's just me. Who am I? What am I? Where am I? What does being me mean to me? There's all kinds of meditations you can do on that. And meditation is very internal, very deep. Whereas being present, again, this is my opinion, is very external, being aware. So maybe the ultimate trip <laughs> is being present while meditating. And what does that mean? Hmm. You could probably bring presence internally and be aware of your breathing, of your heartbeat, of the clothing on your skin, or the chair or the bed on your back. There's all kinds of things to be present about, whether you're meditating or alert in the real world. And um, if you accomplish that, then maybe you can do it opposite, where you take your meditation into the present moment. And now you're taking the internal connection with yourself outside yourself. Now that might be a meditation. <laughs> so maybe one of the ways to do that is to open your mind and step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing.